On the Lollygaggers podcast, we firmly believe that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Except for ghosts. They just make you insane. In this episode, Jeff considers campy creatures and doubles down on haunted houses with mansions of madness, while Justin goes full DC with Titans and Batman White Knight. Both Lollygaggers then break down Netflix's Haunting of Hill House, before ending with the Gentleman's Challenge. Welcome to episode number, wait, I probably should look this up first, 29, 29, I think that's right, of the Lollygaggers podcast, show about all sorts of different things, comics, games, movies, TV, I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm another one, Justin, what's up, man? It's 29, right? It is 29? I think it's 29. Right. It's 29. 29. It's 29. It is now. Now it's 29. We'll yeah. just record a different one and make that 28 if we have yeah. to. Yeah. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. So what's up? So what's up? How is that? How is Raiden? Justin just got done Raiden. Good. We got our sixth boss down in Heroic now, and we did them all in one night, which is pretty good. So we're getting there. We only got two more to go in Heroic, and then we'll start Mythic stuff. So it's pretty interesting. We've already killed one Mythic boss. Uh-huh. Um, it's 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 better than we've had before. So I'm I'm having a good time with it. So cool. That sounds yeah. Great. Yeah, Justin. Uh, Justin was nearly promoted to raid leader, but he had to turn it down because he had other commitments. I just I don't want to deal with that crap. If that's what, if, that, if that if that's what other commitments is, that's what it is. Yeah, I don't want to deal with that crap. So. I think it's other commitments. I think saying other commitments uh, sounded better. Sure, it sure, it sounded better. But it's it's fun to lead raids. So. Yeah, it can be, but then you have to do like a bunch of research and all stuff, and I was like, eh, I don't care about that. You have to like watch a video. Like somebody else did it, and they just yeah. But then you gotta like make sure you're calling stuff out and everything. So eh. yeah, but doesn't like boss mods and stuff do that for you, or just like you think you think people pay attention? Run away. Yeah, Yeah. you think people pay attention to that, but they don't. They don't pay attention to that at all, or they don't download deadly boss mods or anything like that. So whatever, I do. I pay attention. So was it called deadly boss mods? Okay, deadly boss mods. That sounds right. Yeah, DMs. So. Okay. Well, I uh, don't want to talk about World of Warcraft. Uh, okay. I, I was really just asking rhetorically. I was hoping you were oh. going to say like it was great, and then we just moved on. Uh, oh. It was my bad. I asked a follow up question and said stuff. So it's like I totally brought this on myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I want to talk about uh, a board game that my wife and I played last night. Oh. Uh, we played it multiple times. Uh, we didn't have a game day yesterday, uh, so my wife and I just uh, just played by ourselves. Uh, we played uh, Mansions of Madness Second Edition. It, uh, we've had it for a while now. Um, and we played it a bunch of times, but uh, we hadn't broken it out for a little bit. And like I said, we're trying to do board games that are kind of horror themed or Halloween type themed over October. So we played uh, a couple different things like Village Attacks and stuff, you know, and stuff like that. And so now we're doing uh, Mansions of Madness. Uh, now, Mansions of Madness, is, it's the second edition that I have. There was a first edition. Uh, it's designed by Nikki Valens. It's published by Fantasy Flight Games. And the first edition, I can't remember the year it came out, but it was several several years ago. And the second edition just came out in 2016. And so it's been around for about two years. It's for one to five players. And it's basically a, like a Cthulhu mythos, Lovecraftian horror type game, like mystery. Uh, it's set in the early 20th century. It's that whole uh, kind of the, the, the stereotypical, the, what, what people usually think of when they think of like Lovecraft, Lovecraftian horror. This is pretty much what it is. Um, players take on roles of investigators. They're uh, dealing with various bizarre, bizarre scenarios and like uh, mysteries that ultimately tend to involve like cults, elder gods, curses, etc. Um, sometimes, uh, like 
it has you trying to solve a horrific or unexplainable murder, you know, and other times you explore, you know, you're often exploring a mansion uh, or a location of some kind. Other times you're trying to like halt a ritual or a ceremony from a doomsday cult or a murderous mob is running through town, stuff like that. Uh, so usual, usual things. There's about, I think there's 16 total scenarios that are available to play. And there's that's spread amongst the base game, the box expansions and DLC. Now, DLC thing is kind of interesting because that's the curious thing about second edition. First edition was a one versus all kind of game. What I mean by that is one player played like the overseer. I can't remember the specific term that they used. Um, and they controlled the monsters and the events and they were playing like against it, sort of like a dungeon master type role, right? Whereas all the other players were, were playing cooperatively against uh, that last person or that other person. Well, the second edition takes out that dungeon master or overseer role uh, and it uses a digital app instead. Now, when Mansions of Madness first came out, that was like a big thing. Like, oh my gosh, it's using a digital, you know, using a digital app. And some people have very strong opinions against it. I am not one. I have no problem using a digital app. It's okay. Um, but by but by that I mean it's instead of you know having the actual person choose where and when monsters spawn or how to like kind of lay out different events or different cards or different uh, different things to investigate here and there, the app does it for you and it allows everyone, all five of the players, if you want to play with five, to play cooperatively. Um, the game itself has a lot in common with an RPG, but I wouldn't say it's like a full-on RPG, but in terms of like an RPG in a box, it's fairly close for like a, a singular scenario-driven stuff as opposed to like a really long campaign. Like everyone plays a unique character and there's a boatload to choose from if you have all the expansions. Uh, that have and they all have specific uh, and variable stats. Uh, so there's like strength and agility. There's will. Uh, there's lore. There's influence. I think that's it. There might be another one I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, and and basically the game just requires you to make a series of skill tests, which is a lot of what RPGs really are. Like when you're rolling to die. Now RPGs are obviously there's a lot more to it, but like ultimately the main mechanic of an RPG is rolling a skill test or a skill check, and that's what you do in Mansions of Madness. So anytime you want to do something, like you're actually trying to do uh anytime you're trying to like investigate something or fight something you have to roll this so it's not like a dice chucker like a zombicide where all it is is combat like in mansions of madness you do a lot more than combat so there's all sorts of different encounters that you have there's social encounters as you're trying to like interrogate npcs or trying to use influence to get them to help you there's like investigation encounters where you're um trying to collect clues you're like you're looking through uh through all sorts of different uh, pieces of evidence that you might suss things out. There's uh, puzzle encounters, there's combat encounters. Um, and so there's all sorts of things that you do that, that are related in some fashion to those, you know, those ability scores or stat scores that you have. And whenever you want to complete a test, you just roll a, you know, some dice and based upon how many successes you get, you know, then yay, you passed or, or, oh no, you failed. Um, now what's really interesting is that certain tests require different amounts of successes. So, Sometimes you know that ahead of time, and sometimes you just sort of input into the app how many successes you have, and based upon that, without really knowing what the, the difficulty was, the app will kind of reveal what actually happens in a very narrative way. Um, so it's, a, it's kind of a, like a very choose-your-own-adventure-style game, and the app handles the story, and there is a very great story. There's a whole premise. There's like a, a narrator uh, that starts the app that kind of gives you the setup, like the prologue for how this particular scenario begins. And as you explore, let's just say a mansion, just for the heck of it, there's effectively like kind of a fog of war that happens. So there's the digital app, yes, but there's also a physical board game. I don't want to suggest that there isn't one. Um, usually at the very start of the scenario, like there's 
there's a, a couple room tiles that are down on the uh, you know on the you know on the, the table in front of you um, because the game is made up of a series of different size tiles that have rooms and outdoor locations in them so there's like really really big rectangular ones there's square ones and then there's a bunch of like smaller rectangular ones and based upon the scenario you're, you're using you're going to be asked to pull out like different combinations based upon your exploration so if you're like exploring the streets of arkham or something like that you're going to be pulling out all of the street tiles if you're exploring like a park somewhere where where people are trying to uh to to summon some elder god in like these this runic circle then you're going to do a lot of outdoor locations or if you do the one that my wife and i did last night we were actually in a mansion we were at a dinner party and we were trying to figure out who was trying to murder the host who called us in to investigate right like he swore somebody was trying to investigate him and we had to go wander around the actual uh the actual mansion and start talking to people so um but the game again only starts with like one or two tiles down and then it puts on the on the actual display on the app and physically on the board these little tokens that tell you okay well you can explore through this door and that might open up you know a new section of the map or you can look at this particular book that's on the table if you want to and so that kind of gives you an idea of what you want to do and you're putting these the physical cardboard tokens down to remind you of where they are but when you want to in interact with them you actually just you know hit a little button on your tablet or on your, your laptop or whatever or your phone or whatever you're using to run the app and then it'll tell you what actually happens and so on your turn you get two actions and you can move you can interact like i said you can interact with things you can attack you know you can um look to, look for clues you can talk to people you can even attack monsters if you want sometimes you kind of have to and all the while like behind the scenes there's this kind of timer to the story going on and it's not like we know it it's not like we know exactly how many rounds are available or anything like that, because it's all sort of narratively driven. Um, but we know that over the course of the game, the tension is ramping up. And so like, there's usually hints, if you're paying attention to the conversation, if you're paying attention to the various interactions that you have, like something's about to happen, something's about to happen. So like for us, like one of the things that there was like this big breaking point was when the dinner was actually going to be served. And so we had a time limit for how long we could kind of wander around and investigate uh, and talk to different people. So there's there's a couple different phases in the game. There's basically the investigator phase where you take your two actions and do different things. But then there's the mythos phase where somewhat random but very thematically consistent effects kind of befall some of the investigators or all of the investigators and sometimes none if you're hopefully lucky. Um, and so maybe a character suddenly watches as their own shadow reaches out to strangle them or like a power outage causes all the lights to go out and darkness to, to happen or like a gust of wind knocks out like your 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 light source, um, something like that. Um, usually this kind of a mythos phase results in some sort of test that you have to resolve. And if you pass, cool. If you don't, well, that's not great because you might take horror or you might take physical damage because there's two different types of damage, like the mental and the physical. If you take too much horror damage, then you go insane, um, which actually is, can be kind of fun sometimes. One time we played, I went insane and I became a uh, kind of a, a, a fire lover, a pyromaniac. And I had my own little secret objective now where I wanted to burn the house down. So, I, so I'm sitting there trying to light fires as best I can. And my wife's like, why are you lighting fires? I'm like, no reason, shush. Um, and if you take too much physical damage, then yeah, it's bad. Um, so, I mean, the game is amazing. It's one of our favorite games because it's so, I think it's pretty immersive. Um, the app, I think, if you're a person who feels like the app is a deal breaker, then I really can't convince you otherwise. And I'm not going to try. Um, but it's a it's an interesting integration, and I like how, as a person who normally plays the dungeon master, you know, in in our D and D and our Starfinder sessions and stuff like that, it's nice to not have to do that sometimes and actually be able to get into the you know get into play and kind of role play along with it. And we often try to. Like I was playing a doctor last night, 
Um, that was my character. So whenever I, you know, like there's a dead body on the ground, I'm like I'm going to the dead body. I'm ignoring everything else and I'm going to run at the dead body. I'm going to see if there's something I can do to help. I'm going to investigate it. So like we kind of try to pick our roles in a way and, you know, make decisions that are consistent with like what our character would do. Cause like on the back of every character card, you know, then when you're playing, there's like this long biography sort of explanation. So you can give in, like if you, you can kind of get into the role as much as you can. Um, now the other cool thing about the game, even though there's only 16 scenarios, um, there's still replayability because those scenarios don't, uh, don't kind of unfold the same way each time. So I've played a couple scenarios more than once and the maps are entirely different. So the, the app sort of generates a different map. And so we're pulling out different tiles, um, certain NPCs behave differently. Uh, certain monsters uh, don't actually show up in certain cases, and in other cases they do. Um, so there's a lot of variability in that regard. There's not a ton, you know, but like it's not infinite. The way like a dungeon, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons, you can kind of just infinitely kind of come up with whatever story you want. Um, but I think there's a significant amount of, of replayability. And one of the cool things that they're doing is that they're releasing just DLC, like I mentioned a while back. So there are expansions to this game that you can get. Some of them just um, provide more game tiles. Some of them provide more miniatures because there's miniatures of the of your investigators that move around on the boards, and there's miniatures of the monsters that you have to interact with as well. Um, and some of them offer new tiles, like new locations. Some of them offer new spells and new new items and whatnot. Um, but then then there's just DLC, and so like you can get the digital app on your phone. You can get it on Steam. Like that's what I was using last night on my laptop. I was just using Steam, and you can instead of having to buy new physical expansions, you can just buy a DLC and just play that. And there's usually like two or three or four different ways in which that particular scenario can unfold. And you're not always going to win them because some of them are very hard. My wife and I have, you know, have failed on, on several occasions and we've won some as well. We won last night. Um, so it's a really good game. I mean, like, there are some cons to it. Uh, I think the biggest con I would say is that it's really expensive. It's an investment. The game itself probably pushes uh, 70 bucks or so for the, the base game. There are a bunch of miniatures in it. Uh, you get all the expansions on top of it, which I, I think there's, you know, got to be like four or five at this point now. You're pushing like 200 bucks, maybe more just for all that kind of stuff. So that kind of sucks. Um, but for, you know, for somebody who wants the feel of a role playing game, like the idea of playing a role, doing those skill tests, getting immersed in the narrative and in, in, a, in, in kind of a, an experience type of way, like you're experiencing the game as opposed to just sort of playing it, you know, just moving, moving, you know, little cardboard figures or or wooden tokens around a board like this is really kind of an immersive type gameplay it's one of the the most i think it's actually honestly the most immersive uh board game i've ever played so um, i highly recommend it. it's been around for a while this isn't brand new it's just one i've played this week and i would strongly suggest it uh if you can't buy it i understand because it's kind of expensive but like if at any point you you see it being played or somebody invites you to play it's definitely worth giving it a try once or twice and it's super easy to play you really don't even have to read the rules the app will kind of teach you in a way and you just use sort of the uh, the index that they have. Like the Fancy Flight has these, this two rule book system where they have like the basic rules if you want to learn from start to finish. And then they have kind of a whole separate appendix book that you can just sort of look stuff up, reference it as you need. Um, so it's a super easy game to kind of get going despite there being some some sort of you know, fiddly, uh, fiddly nature to it, but mansions of madness, second edition by fantasy flight games, really, really excellent game. Uh, one of the best, um, highly rated, not just from me, but from most, uh, most in the board gaming uh, community. So that's what we played last night. Fun times. All right. Well, I finally got around to watching Titans on, uh, the DC universe app. Uh, after I bought it last week without right. realizing that it hadn't come out yet. Cause I'm a big dumb idiot. <laughs> 
So um, we got, I got to watch it this morning. Um, So it is created by Greg Berlanti, Akiva Goldsman, and Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns is the creative director at DC right now. He's also a, a author over there. Does some of my favorite stuff that's ever been written in DC. Um, but always is hit and miss with his current creative direction right now. Um, it stars Brenton Thwaites as Dick Grayson. Anna, I can't, Diop. Anna Diop as a Raven or as a Coriander who is a... Um, Hey, Justin, Justin, when are you going to finish your degree in linguistics? You're, Dude, you're, you're just a couple of credits short, right? You're just, yeah. you're just a few. Yeah. Almost there. Almost there. Uh, Tegan Croft is Raven and uh, Ryan Potter is uh, Beast Boy. So basically, um, I went into this thinking, you know, the only exposure I've had to this show so far is the one preview that came out at San Diego Comic Con. And it's the F Batman preview. And it just made the show look absolutely garbage trash. Um, the special effects in the preview looked awful. The overall feeling I had for this was it's going to be garbage gutter trash. So I watched it this morning right when I wake up and I think this is actually pretty good. And um, I was very, very surprised about how well it's done. Um, the only thing I would say is the biggest drawback of the show is they really try and push the envelope sometimes and try and make it a little bit R-rated-y, you know, extra bloody, but I don't think it really needs it. It's like if Arrow showed blood, you know what I mean? Um, Arrow was kind of dark season one because he was just yeah. killing fools, man. I loved it. And then he was he murdering people. got all soft and he's like, Psh, can't kill people. I failed my own city. Whoops. Joke's yeah, on me. Yeah, but this is like... It mostly takes place in Detroit because most Teen Titan stuff does play, take, take place in Detroit. And okay. uh, there's a lot of blood in this. And there's a lot of very brutal um, R-rated stuff. Which, I don't know, is a little off-putting when your main characters are from the Teen Titans. That's 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 all I would say. Um, but other than that, the story's good. The, the acting's pretty good. The guy who plays Dick Grayson does a pretty good job. I was worried that they were going to be like really off from the source material, but it seems to be pretty dead on from the source material. The guy who plays Dick Grayson does a really, really great job of like conveying a recently jilted Dick Grayson from the Batman thing. You know, this is right as right after he left Batman because he was tired of being told what to do, being treated like a child and all that stuff. And they do a pretty good job of conveying that. Um, then you have Raven, who is basically your follow-along character. And her character is basically someone who she has a demon inside of her. She got is basically donated to her by her father. And she can't control as a child. So she kind of is really having a hard time dealing with it. And there's a lot of stuff that happens with that, which makes it pretty dark. There's a pretty really there's a really, really dark scene where she's being like almost tortured and then she deals with it. At least her her uh uh supernatural side deals with it and it's pretty rough and uh but it was not like to the point where it was like unnecessary it was just like i didn't expect it with with this um i think that the characters are cast pretty well i think that you know the preview did a terrible job because a lot of that stuff they showed is so out of context like the f batman movement when it was done in the actual show it wasn't as jarring or as stupid sounding, you know, than as it was in the uh, preview. Um, 
they also there's a lot of stuff where starfire looks terrible and promos and stuff like that and but when i now have context to her character and what's going on it seems a lot better she doesn't look ridiculous considering what's going on so like i just think the worst thing that happened to the show was the promo reel they had for uh dc at san diego comic-con yeah because now that i'm watching it i'm like all the stuff makes sense and is good i look forward to finishing up but the only bad part is um it's released weekly and you know how much me and you hate that stuff (laughs) i know it drives me nuts um i'm going to finish it i'd say out of all the dc shows like you're talking about like supergirl arrow this might be the best one um um okay Okay, I'm skeptical. I did, little... I did really like Arrow for the, like I said, for the first season. I did too. Okay I thought too. the first two seasons of Arrow yeah. were very solid. Yeah, um, but this might be better because it's just four characters. They paced them all very well, and um, they barely had any Beast Boy stuff. And when they finally showed you Beast Boy, and there were some special effects. The special effects weren't that bad. And is the this stuff some? Were... Would you say this is sort of like the type of situation where maybe? You just wait until the season's done and then, you know, spend the money for like a week or a month or whatever. The, yeah, because if you do that, then you're saying, damn it. Yeah. You're saying, like, if you wait until it's over, then get the money for $7.99, or you can even get the one week trial and then get it all for free and cancel your trial. That's be a way to do it. Oh, man, that's mean. You got to at least give them one week or one month worth of money. Well, I for think. me, like, I'm going to watch. Doom Patrol when it comes out. I'm gonna watch all the other things that they have planned out. But I was really surprised. Like I also went in with the lowest of expectations. And I was surprised like the fighting was good. Um, there's a really cool moment when when Dick Grayson's fighting, and it was there was a you know, they have a lot of those quick cut things, you know, where people are fighting and it's really tight angles and there's quick cuts, so you can't really tell what's going on. There's a moment where it's like kind of a wide angle and it slowly pans in. And you see everything happening. He's just going back and forth between two guys. That was very well done. I always appreciate good uh, fighting choreography. And that was very good. And then you see, like, you know, he uses his bow staff. And you're like, ah, this is, this is, uh, is comic booky stuff. I like it. So, like, to me, it was very – it it hit the spots I wanted to hit. And I just – I honestly think the worst thing could have ever happened to this thing was that San Diego Comic-Con preview. Because, holy crap, that was bad. But this was actually – quite an entertaining show and i am looking forward to finishing up so that's titans on dc universe um it's like 7.99 for a month you get a week free there's a whole bunch of other stuff on there too but uh check it out so i gotta say about that all right i got another board game i want to talk about uh more like a card game i guess but uh still board game and this one's up on kickstarter it's called campy creatures uh second edition and also has an expansion with it so uh, this is designed by matt talk schuler and it's got this I honestly, I feel like it's amazing art by uh, Josh Emmerich. It's uh, like you look at the card art for this. If you look this up on Kickstarter, Campy Creature Second Edition, like there's some really, really good art on here for like all these kind of classic, uh, classic monster movie type uh, type creatures. It's so good. Um, little cartoony, but not like overly cartoony. I mean, it's it's pretty good. Super colorful, everything. I love it. Uh, it's published by Keymaster Games. It's for two to five players, uh, and it's a fairly lightweight simultaneous action selection game. Uh, plays quick in about 30 minutes, so they say. Um, so if you're 
familiar with the term filler and you approve of that term, uh, you could probably use that for this game. Uh, so thematically, this game uh, puts players in the roles of mad scientists. So everyone's basically a mad scientist that's looking to acquire mortals, human beings, uh, for various devious experiments of some kind. Uh, and to do so, these scientists send out their crews of, quote, campy creatures, uh, which is basically just classic horror movie monsters. And so they have everyone's got their own crew. Uh, they have like a, their hand, basically, that has um, these creatures and they are sent out to capture mortals. And by mortals, I just mean folks like teenagers and damsels and engineers and archaeologists and hunters and all sorts of different types. Um, so. There's also new ones in the second edition. So the first edition had like those that I just listed. And then the second one has like, I think it's got angry mobs and instigators and stuff like that. Um, these mortals and the campy creatures themselves, um, they're all cards. So like I said, it's a card game. There is like a board that has um, this clash meter for like breaking ties and stuff like that. And also for tracking VP. Um, but uh, for the most part, it's a card game. Um, so when you play the game, it's pretty simple. It's, uh, like I said, a simultaneous action selection. So players begin a round of play and they all have the same hand of creatures. Uh, so I think in the base game, it's Kaiju, the blob, a swamp creature, the invisible man, the mummy, vampire, werewolf, uh, an alien dude. Uh, and I think a demi, demo, uh, demogorgon. Ooh, sorry. Um, but then I think the expansions and some of the, some of the, the new edition stuff also has a man eating plant, a tarantula, a rogue robot, and basically Frankenstein's monster. Now, each of these monsters has a strength value that's printed on their card in addition to this amazing art. Uh, so it goes from a strength of zero to a strength of eight. Uh, and they also have a special ability of some kind. Uh, and then in the middle of the table, players, uh, of you know, where all the players are sitting, there's this bank of available mortals that you can capture. Um, and so there's like a deck of mortals and then you can kind of, you just pull out new ones. And for this round, this is what's available. Um, so then everyone plays a card at the same time, face down, and it's whatever card you want. And once everyone is ready, all players reveal at the same time. And based on and then based on monsters, the monster strength value, highest to lowest, players begin capturing mortals. So if you play a card uh, that has a monster that has a strength of eight, then you basically go first. If you play seven and then six and then so on, right? Um, and then you're capturing mortals. Now, the mortals themselves have different values as well. And so sometimes if you go first, you're going to get the highest value mortal. And sometimes if you go last, you get the lowest, right? And that's kind of the basic principle. Um, however, there are monster special abilities. And these can kind of throw people's plans into a little bit of disarray. Uh, so like the werewolf, for instance, can force a player on your right to discard a creature from their hand. So now you have one fewer creature to be able to play. The swamp creature can allow you to give a mortal that you capture to someone, some other player, which means that you can kind of capture like a really crappy mortal, like a low value or even a, a, a mortal that comes with a point penalty and actually give it to the person uh, that you're that you're giving, you know, that you want to, that you want to like, you know, maybe the person who's out ahead and you're trying to, to lower their score in some way. And there's all sorts of different things. And there's some domino effects that start to trigger and happen as well. Um, so it creates some like really interesting combos. Um, and that's basically like the game. That's the, the most simple explanation for the game. You just do this over and over um, and you're kind of trying to figure out, well, when do I play my high value card? When do I play my low value card? And then your clash a meter, um, what it basically does is this a small cardboard um, board that uh, indicates like who's ahead in terms of the tiebreaker. And so then you know that if two of us play, you know, if Justin and I are playing and we both play a five value card, but Justin's higher on the clash meter, then he wins ties is, is basically what that kind of does for you. Now, um, the second edition in the expansion Kickstarter that I'm 
currently talking about. Uh, it adds new monsters and a new gameplay feature. Um, now the new monsters it allows you because there's now there's more than just you know, there's more than just the was the nine that are normally in your hand. Now you can actually choose from multiple ones. So you're allowed to actually vary up um, which monsters are in the game because you still need to have monsters with a value of zero to eight. You can't have like two monsters with value five and two monsters with value six and then skip two and three. You know, you actually still have to have the same array, the same spread of zero to eight. And so you can kind of switch out um, each time you play with, okay, well, which monsters are we playing with everybody? And then the group can actually decide, do you want everyone to play with the exact same spread or do we want to do like a little kind of mini uh, deck construction element and have everyone pick their own spread, what's in their hand, but as long as they're, you know, have that zero to eight strength value, right? Um, so that's kind of cool. That's kind of an interesting little little tweak to gameplay. Um, the locations, I'm still a little unclear entirely on, on how they work, but um, it's a new mechanic that basically, just like mortals, the, the the people who are playing the monsters are fighting over them, and they also have benefits as well. And so there's all sorts of cool um, uh, thematic, thematic uh, locations, like there's secret labs, there's uh, an ancient temple, there's a dark castle, there's a motel, there's Camp Mirkwood, all that kind of stuff. So um, and again, they also have special abilities. You can get extra points and things like that here as well. Um, so just like just like monsters, just like getting certain you know certain comboing and set collection when it comes to collecting your uh, collecting your mortals, there's some benefit to what you get. So it's a pretty light game in that respect, but it seems like they're adding some replayability, which I, I was one of the complaints I think from the 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 people who've played first edition the most that there really wasn't as much replayability. And so this new expansion, this new uh, this new second edition is seeming to, to try to address that, which is really great that they're actually listening to feedback and they're returning on it so fast because this game just came out in 2017 and they're already looking to improve it. And I really like it uh, when companies stick with a game and they're trying to improve it, tweak it, expand it. It's really, really nice. Not just like they publish it. Now they never talk about it again. So it's really nice. Um, there's a bunch of different pledge levels. So if you already have the first edition and you just want the conversion kit to get to the second edition and you don't really want the expansion, you can just spend 13 bucks and you're good. Um, you can spend 25 bucks if you're brand new and you just want the second edition and you don't want the expansion. You can also spend 25 bucks if you want both the upgrade kit and the expansion. And then there's also a $35 tier um, for people who are brand new and want both the base game and the expansion. And finally, there's a $50 tier if you want a special glow-in-the-dark box with alternate artwork that looks kind of cool, actually. Um, so definitely check the Kickstarter page so to, to clarify which, which you're, what you would want to get. Um, so it looks really fun. It looks pretty light. I love the artwork. Um, I love the throwback monsters. Uh, I like the replayability. It seems like a light game. Type of, it's definitely the type of game that we would play because we have all sorts of games like this that we pull from. Things like The Grizzled and things like uh, Welcome to the Dungeon, like these smaller games, and um, uh, and like Carmaka and then Dale of Merchants, as I mentioned on the, on the day before on, on the podcast before. So it'd be nice to get another one of these games. Uh, so this is due out. Uh, the Kickstarter is set to deliver in June of next year, um, and this particular campaign is running through the 3rd of November. So there's still several weeks left. Um, there's some uh, gameplay videos and stuff that you can probably find. Uh, and they also have some videos on the Kickstarter page as well to learn a little bit more about it. But looks like a pretty cool game. Looks like pretty cool art and uh, looks like a fun theme. So uh, that's Campy Creatures second edition with expansion. All right. My last thing I want to talk about is a graphic novel limited series that I've been looking forward to reading once it came out onto. Uh... Uh, like graphic novel, uh, I guess, form, uh, which is Batman the White Knight. Um, 
This is from their Black Label series. Wait, wait. I thought Harvey was the White Knight. Uh, Isn't Harvey the It's a White Knight. Kind of. White Knight in Gotham? Sure. But uh, this is a Black Label series comic. Uh, So DC's created Black Label, which is basically their R-rated comic series for more of adult readers. Uh, most recently, most notably, there was a comic of Batman's uh, penis. Do uh, not, don't. God dang it. Not and, here uh, too. Jeez. In our Discord Keith, channel, Keith has been spamming it and talking about it. I think you've been very uh, wrapped up ridiculous. in the uh, the details of it. But uh, before that, that's a, that was Batman, I think, Madness, I think it's called. Anyways, uh, so this is... Batman White Knight. Um, it is written and drawn by Sean Murphy. It's a very interesting style. I really like the way it looks. There's not a lot of detail, like eyes and stuff. More, it looks kind of like very tight. But his art is very unique and interesting. The way they show Batman in his costume, he looks like more like a Batman by a Gaslight, where he's got kind of like a high collar westerny look. It's a very very interesting look to uh, the way they do stuff. And I like it a lot. Um, so basically this story is centered around the Joker or, um, what his name was more, uh, what his actual name of Jack Napier. Um, and so basically this comic explores the relationship of Batman and Joker and what Batman really is and who the Joker really is and how they basically like, like who's the real villain situation. So the beginning of the comic and this is like the main crux of what the comic is which is why it's so interesting to me uh batman chases uh joker to a chemical facility and this chemical facility has a bunch of uh pharmaceuticals and in the process of doing so he you know traverses his batmobile over the top of buildings uh runs through a construction site knocks over a security guard you know because he's batman he's got to stop the joker so he's got to do all the crazy stuff um, and while this is all happening, the Joker's having it all recorded. And at the end of the fight, he says, um, basically, you need me. If I don't exist, everyone's going to notice how much of a psychopath you really are. And then um, he says, if I take these pills, you won't have me anymore. So Batman basically forces them down his throat and makes him eat them. And when he does that, the Joker becomes cured. He's no longer the Joker. He's now Jack. Uh, uh, Napier. So basically, the story is a cured Joker is exonerated from all of his crimes because after all the years of the terrible things he's done, the GCPD doesn't have much on him other than he's robbed a few stores and done a few bad things, but they can't pin any murders on him. And everything else is kind of thrown out the window because of the fact that the GCPD has been letting a vigilante kind of run everything. And so now the Joker will. Jack uh, decides he wants to create a campaign to try and stop Batman from being Batman and trying to prove to Gotham that the only reason the bad things happen in Gotham is because Batman exists and that crime is profitable for him. All the while, um, uh, at the same time, uh, Alfred is sick and he needs some of Dr. Freeze's technology. So you start getting Dr. Freeze's stuff. And essentially what ends up happening throughout this book is Joker kind of cures a lot of the people. A lot of people get kind of cured of their ailments and illnesses. And it kind of proves that 
Batman is just as much of a psychopath as the Joker. Meanwhile, there's a bunch of other stuff that goes on. So I really like this, this turn, um, how they do this and seeing like the genius of the Joker out of lunacy into more of a lucid human being who has uh, a, a head on his shoulders. Um, on top of that, he has Harley Quinn help him out or her name's Harlan Quinzel because when she... In the comic book, she was with him, but she left him and replaced herself with a basically a double uh, to be kind of like another Harley Quinn after he had tortured Jason Todd. She said she couldn't handle that anymore, so she left. And then when he came back as Jack, she decided to come back, but she's just, you know, she's a psychotherapist, so she kind of like is normal. Um, So, like, it's a really interesting take on these characters. It's very dark. It's very because it's this their black label. Lots of uh, foul language, lots of blood. It's really, uh, they're really trying to push the level of what they do. The art is just fantastic. I love the way they depict Batman and Bruce Wayne and the Joker. It's really, really cool what they do. I'm, I haven't finished it all the way yet. I'm about halfway through the graphic novel. But I very, very much enjoy this little spin on the classic idea of Batman and Joker in this case. Batman's more of the villain than Joker is. And it's a really, really interesting uh, look at the kind of juxtaposition of who the characters are and really what the relationship is between the two. That one must exist with the other or, you know, they both seem, you know, inconsequential or insane. So it's, it's really interesting. So that's Gotham or that's uh, Batman White Knight. Uh, you can pick up it in your stores. It's a it's a limited series. They just announced a second series coming out. Um, the sequel is called Batman: Curse of the White Knight, um, and that's going to be coming out here in 2019. So it's a self-contained story. You don't have to have anything beforehand to read it or anything after to read it. It's just a small little thing. I think it's about eight comics. So pick it up. It's 13 bucks in Comicsology. I enjoyed it. So yeah, it's Batman: White Knight. So I'm good. All right. Uh, and on that note, let's go ahead and move to our breakdown this week where we talk about a really scary haunted house show. It's the TV. Breakdown. <laughs> Loosely based on the classic Shirley Jackson novel of the same name, The Haunting of Hill House is a new horror television series now airing on Netflix. Created by Mike Flanagan, the show follows the Crane family telling the story of their time in Hill House and the long-lasting effects, both psychological and perhaps supernatural, of their stay in said house. Now, the series relays events from two primary time periods, 20 years ago when the Crane family moved into Hill House and present day as the family navigates various traumatic events in their current lives. Carla Gugino and Henry Thomas star as the younger versions of Crane parents Olivia and Hugh as they move their five children into the Hill House, hoping to flip the somewhat dilapidated mansion for profit. Now, during their stay, numerous supernatural occurrences befall the family, uh, ranging from a figure known as Bent Neck Lady to your run-of-the-mill inexplicable banging in the walls, barking of dogs, and so on. Now, these occurrences grow more and more troubling until finally an unspeakable tragedy forces the family to leave the house, father of Hugh vowing never to return or let anyone else acquire the home. Now, in the present day, the children are adults, some with their own families, but nonetheless still feel the effects of their time in Hill House. From psychosis to drug addiction to estrangement from their father, all is not well in the Crane family. 
oldest, Steve, has become a writer, using the family's time in Hill House to establish his career, despite the objections of Shirley, the next oldest, who has become a funeral director. And when a present-day tragedy within the family uh, suggests ties to Hill House, the family is forced to face both the traumatic events of 20 years ago and the long-awaited fallout of today. As always, we'll do our best not to spoil major surprises and reveals, uh, but if you want to begin the haunting of Hill House completely unspoiled, it's best to skip ahead to the Gentleman's Challenge now and come back to this episode once you have a few uh, episodes of Haunting of Hill House under your bet. So, Justin, what do you think? I like it a lot. Like, a whole lot. Um, I am I'm... surprised, because you're kind of a... a what? You know, yeah, that's the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the PG word. So, uh... I really enjoy this. I think I'm getting I'm I'm getting better with the scaries. I think I am. I think that Outlast, you're growing up. You're... Outlast helped that a lot. Boy's growing up. He's growing um, up. But as a whole, scariness aside, I enjoy this story very much. I enjoy all the characters. I think that they're all very interesting and 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 compelling. It's a very very intriguing show. Um, so there's there's five kids, all right. So there's Steve, who's the oldest, who's the writer. Uh, there's Cheryl, who's the funeral director. She's the next oldest. And there's uh, Theodora or Theo, uh, who has kind of like this psychic or empathic like ability and wears gloves and doesn't like to touch people. Then there's the twins, who are the youngest, uh, and that's Nelly uh, or Nell and uh, and Luke. So those are the those are the twins. So those are the five kids. And then there's the the parents uh, that, that I already mentioned uh, in the rundown. Um, so you like all of the characters. You like all the like the yeah, big family. I, okay. And what I like too is that they've taken each episode so far that I've watched. I've only watched the first three episodes. I want to do more, but I wanted to make sure I, I got caught up on everything else I had to do. But um, and I plan on finishing it by the end of the week because I don't have school on Monday. Um, I thought how they explored each character in each like episode was very good. I'm very looking forward to Luke's character. I really want to see right. what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that let's see here. What did I write down? Um, the storytelling structure is fantastic. Um, by that, expand. What do you mean by that? Sometimes you can get really disjointed and confused with flashbacks and flash forwards and all this stuff. But I think the way they do it in the show is very smooth and works very, very well. Um, I like so, the flashbacks thing. So, I mean, Justin touches on like a pretty interesting aspect of the show because. Like I said in the in the in the rundown, there it, it there's two primary time periods. There's 20 years ago, and then there's present day. But even within those two basic time periods, we do move it a little bit because even in present day, we'll go back a couple months, and then we'll have moments where we where we intersperse some other events that's somewhere between their 20 years ago when they were kids and now, right? So, and even back then, when you start looking at them as kids, it, we see sometimes it's like the fateful night when they, you know, finally fled the house and yeah. sometimes the first night and sometimes in between. Um, now, the other really interesting thing about, about the narrative structure, I mean, it's it's totally non-linear um, for sure. And so, so it's not just because of the flashbacks. And so which one of the other, I think I totally agree with you about this is I like the way in which each episode thus far, I'm through six and each episode thus far has basically had its own kind of POV through a particular character. It reminds me a little bit of how like Lost used to sort of do that too, with like the flashbacks tended to be focused on like one specific character. Like this was like a Jack episode or this was a Sawyer episode. Or this was a Kate episode. 
So it's kind of similar to that. Like you're saying, like there's gonna there's a Luke episode, and you're right. Within the first six episodes, there's a Luke episode. There's a Theo episode. Uh, the very first episode's a Steve episode. There's a Cheryl episode. There's a Nell episode, etc. There's a, there's a, a Hugh episode, and so on. Um, I don't know what it is after six. I don't know if they maintain it. But the other cool thing is that they'll like it's it's not just nonlinear within its own episode, but it's also nonlinear in some cases, like episode to episode. So there's uh, there's an event that that transpires uh, in Cheryl's uh, in Cheryl's episode um, where we see her walking over to visit um, her sister Theo, and we don't really see what happens when she talks to her sister. But then in the next episode, we see it. And so there's like this little overlapping. Um, yeah, I POV. like that. Yeah, where we see we see like the same event from a slightly different perspective or a slightly different angle, which I think provides like some really interesting context at times. And I really like the idea of how it builds suspense because it's like, oh, I really want to know what happened there. And like they delay it in a way that is not annoying and tedious, but like justifiable and actually is beneficial to the experience of ramping tension up uh, to get me kind of excited about what's happening. So I, I, totally I have a feeling it's going to be the same thing with Luke. Now, I haven't seen that episode. No, you have. And don't spoil anything for me. But like uh, Darth Vader is his father. Freaking blew my oh, mind. My, also, yeah. he doesn't have a hand. He lost his hand. He got cut off. It's crazy. Yeah. But like in the first episode, Steve catches him like, uh, I guess, supposedly stealing his iPad and camera. I have a feeling, though, that once you get to Luke's story, there's more to it because of the nonlinear nature of some of the storytelling. You would be right. You would be absolutely and, right. Uh, I really, really enjoy how they're going about it. It's scary enough. And the first two episodes, not once to have a hard time. What I like about their the, the scary the stuff that's scariest to me in the show is when they hold for stuff longer than it's just a few seconds longer than it should be, you know? And then yes. nothing happens. That that to me is that's anxiety ridden. Where it's like, right? They look at the like. There's that scene with the red door, and there is something that happens. But I think the more and what happens was very subtle, and it wasn't kind of like <sighs> that type of because I, I think the the startle scare is very cheap. They do a really good job of creating these moments of long tension, like the first episode and the first when he just oh when he. It's like the first major scene when he op- when he closes the door to his wife's room and looks over and then the door, the other doors open that that freaked me out a little bit and I thought that was yeah. just so good. Well, um, I also think like that little scene with uh with Nell, like little Nell sleeping on like the couch and then she wakes up and like she's breathing crazy heavy and then it takes a while to over- pan out because it's so dark and you know something's there from her reaction so it's not even a yeah, jump yeah. scare like i agree i don't like i don't think there's really like they don't rely on jump scares to me like this is a type of horror i like it's atmospheric you know so it's like it's heavily atmospheric it's a classic uh you know uh what's it called haunted house story i mean this is it this is the classic one you know and so i really like the atmospheric horror i really love some of the shots like you're you're gonna love uh episode six because you and i have talked about how we really like like especially like in daredevil those long, long one shot scenes holy crap man there's a they're not like fight scenes you're not gonna get like ninjas and stuff popping out uh what? Here. no there's no ninjas in the who would have thought there's no ninjas, ninjas in this show actually funny story the okay. entire mansion uh was once owned by a whole group of ninjas and is that why all those walls are shaking because there's ninjas in the walls because they're trying to kick their way out and they just oh, can't. I knew it. it's crazy 
Um, but no, there's a couple, there's a, those couple really long shots and it's just so amazing. And like, normally I'm not a fan of like the 360 shot because sometimes like, I, I feel like there's a very temperate, like you have to be very careful with like the speed in which that like rotation, that 360 shot um, happens, but I think they are nailing the speed. And like, there are moments where I just love it. Like, and the things you were saying about the whole idea of, of jump scares, there is this, I won't say the specific, uh, like the specific context of it, but there is a scene um, in episode six. And again, I think episode six is my favorite so far. I, I, I love this episode so much. But in episode six, there's a scene where as adults, most of the characters are in the same room together. Okay. And then like the camera is just you know, pulling out. You can see all of them. They're talking about stuff and whatnot. And then like, and then you just all of a sudden you look for a second and you're, wait, wait a second. There's, there's too many people in this room. Wait, wait, what? And then there's like, you know, one of those like ghostal, you know, perhaps supernatural like visions that no one's reacting to. But we, you know, in a dramatic irony moment, you know, as as the audience, we can see this thing. We're like, whoa, whoa, wait, why is no one? No one can see that. No one's no one's looking in that direction. And so it was so cool. But it wasn't like a I'm going to jump because like the the sound suddenly got really loud and like it got really cheap. It was a it's there and like it's just spooky and eerie and unsettling, you know, as opposed to let's just have like let's just pluck the violin string really loud here and then like, like throw something in your face. It, it actually earned it, you know, in a way. And it was really, really well done. So wait until you get to episode six. Let me know when you're done with that, because I think you're going to dig it. There's a couple shots that are really good, too. Like there was one where I forget exactly what was happening, but they like followed a hand to a doorknob. I forget what it was where they followed to them opening the door. I was like, yes, because that's handle, a really the handle was like moving, right? It wasn't the yeah, handle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the handle was like, moving that's a really cool line. little little thing they did there. Or like even when the handle was moving, they had that handle moving for a good minute. And it was slow too. It was slow. And they really hung on that. Oh, yeah. Loved it's it. Good. I know exactly I, I, what you're talking about. And then the one that where I sent you a message and I said, <laughs> Justin sends me a message and I can't, it's not a pro, it's not podcast appropriate, uh, but it's basically just like, all right, I'm, I'm, you know, after episode three, uh, you know, that, that show, uh, can go, can go, you know, take something a long walk. Itself. It can yeah, do yeah. something to itself. Uh, that rhymes with puck. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, that's that's cool. We can do that, right? Yeah. It was the moment with the dumbwaiter, and that, <laughs> yeah, that, pretty, and pretty it what, and it was. It started off with like the whole moment because the little thing at the beginning of it, you know, and then it it like extrapolates from that point. But the the even just the first beginning part where you see the the hand a little bit, and it's like, okay, what is this? Uh, and that's yeah. why I'm like this is taking a turn. All right, this is now going into the zone where Justin does not like. Um, so, but I liked it, and I thought it was great, and I, I really am enjoying all that stuff. And then when Theo went down there, there was a lot of those. Like I said, there's a lot of those shots where they're just hanging there. They're just I know, and you're like exp- it's playing with our expectations. You want way, you something know? that like you feel like something's about to happen, and nothing happens, but you're just like. But you know, oh, please, yeah. So I, I, I'm enjoying it. A lot. I have to, I'm gonna I, finish it up on Monday. I especially like that scene because I love child Luke. Now I want to say, normally child actors uh, drive me nuts, but all five of them, I like them oh, all. They're good. I think they're all great. They're all fantastic. Like Luke is amazing. That adorable little kid who's got like really Big bad eyesight. Glasses. 
and he's got to lean his head back so we can see out of his lenses. He's so adorable. It's so great. Um, you know, I also feel like the adult sibling strife, because there's a lot of strife, you know, and I think anyone with siblings knows that, you know, there's, you're going to have that, you know, you're still close and you still love one another, but at the same time, like there's, there's, there's baggage. And when considering what they went through as kids, like their baggage is going to be particularly, uh, particularly unique and, and, and strong. Um, sometimes I feel like it gets a little, it gets a little, I get a little tired of it from time to time. Um, but overall, like, it's not bad. Like it's realistic. Like it's realistic, like the, the interactions and things like that. Um, so I don't really have a whole lot of complaints. Like I did have some trouble early on with like keeping track of people. Cause like, I think every single woman on this show, uh, with the exception of Steve's wife, uh, is, uh, is white skinned with Brown or black hair. Yeah. And, so, yeah, yeah. and I'll say like the casting is good. I mean, Carlo Gugino is the, is like the, like the mother. Right. So like all the female children look just, you know, I think they look really good. Like the, like they, they, it fits. Like I think the casting was great there, but it was like, it took me a little longer than it probably should have to distinguish between adult Theo you know, an adult Nell, an adult. Um, I don't know. There was a show. fifth kid at first. I was like, "Who is this person?" Right. I know. I. I. It was Theo too. Like, and Theo is one of the first names you you hear, but she was sort of off by herself. And then, like, okay, I know Nell is the twin, and I know Cheryl is not the oldest, but like. But then yeah, it's like really cleared up yeah. by the next episode. You're like, oh, oh yeah, it, it gets there, especially since they're doing like they're focusing so heavily on like one character, one one POV perspective um, per episode. It becomes pretty easy to distinguish. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like I, I honestly, I love the show. Like, I love the show. I, this is the, I'm trying to think of all the horror shows I've ever watched, like American Horror Story. Obviously, uh, I've watched Slasher on Netflix. Uh, this is this is easily uh, my favorite and most preferred American Horror Story, starring Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott, Laura. <laughs> It's Dylan McDermott. So, <laughs> we'll get to him later. Um, like I, I've watched a couple of the seasons of American Horror Story. Right, hard to believe that I watched those. Right, I watched but, the first two and I, I bailed. But like this, I think this is a better version of that first season. Even though I do like that first season, I thought the first season was very. Good. I think since this, I mean, this is inspired by a, a novel, and I've read the novel a while ago. Like it's been a long time, but it's Shirley Jackson. I love Shirley Jackson. She's also famous for the lottery. I'm not sure if you know that short story, um, but it's where at the end somebody gets stoned to death. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, but you know, not hilarious. It's supposed to be horrifying. Um, but like, I, there's more characters in this than there were in the book. Um, but it is there are a lot of like little nods to it, which is nice. So like certain character names and things like that and places and, and, and behaviors that we're seeing like the Dudleys for instance, and like Arthur and other stuff. Actually, you're not the Arthur yet. Are you? Um, so there's different, you know, there's different call outs, which is really nice to see too, but I just really, really enjoy the show. I think they're doing a great job. I can't, it's, it's sad as well. It sort of like pulls at you. Cause like they've gone through so much grief and tragedy and it's just like, they're haunted, you know, and you feel so bad for this family that's dealing with this crap. Um, but it's also so spooky in different ways. I think it plays like the atmospheric horror is fantastic. I, there's nothing gratuitous. There's nothing gross. There's no gore. And I think that's wonderful. Like there's a while where we often conflated gore and horror. And I, and I never really liked that. I just like how it's dealing things with suspense and tension. I'm glad we're getting out of that, that phase. Cause gore to me is just gross and unnecessary, but like good horror. I enjoy that's, that's, I think that's right. what I've been, uh, so uh i guess so away from horror as of recent because it seems 
until just recently and i feel like there's a good renaissance of horror like the witch and a few other things that have come out recently where it's like it, it's more about tension than about just being super super gross because i don't think super, right. super super gross is not horror to me like uh hostile and all that stuff they're just trying to shock people by making them sick speaking of which mandy is on uh, Amazon. I'm, I'm gonna try to watch it and maybe talk about it on the podcast before Halloween's right. over or before October's over. I keep calling. I keep calling October Halloween. I just, it's like the same thing. Halloween month. There you go. All right. So basically, final thoughts. We're both very, very uh, excited about it. Both really, really like it. Uh, I'm through six, loving it, and might finish tomorrow. Justin's through three, and he's gonna try to finish by Monday or so. So yeah. Uh, I mean, if we're willing to burn through them that quickly, like that should tell you something. So we love it. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, people who are making this uh, uh, this particular show. Uh, and if you haven't started watching yet, definitely start watching. If you are a sensitive soul, maybe not watch uh, when it's late at night, but you really should because like it just adds to it. DCU, take a note. Release all of your TV shows at once. Damn it. Oh, I know. I know. We can, we can just burn through it. All right. So that is, uh, what did I call it? The Haunting uh, of, how, of Hell. God dang it. I said it wrong. The Haunting of Hill House. There we go. I was about to say Hell House because that's sort of the joke. Hell House. All right. And then uh, let's go do our challenges. And now... It's time for the gentleman's challenge. So the gentleman's challenge is a segment we do here on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I like to uh, like to assign the others some kind of homework assignment. Uh, this assignment usually involves watching a TV show or watching a movie or playing a game and often within some sort of framework of us probably not wanting to do so um, kind of to drive the other crazy, or maybe sometimes to just be nice and expose the other person to something pretty cool. And then to ensure that we do our homework, we come back the next week and we quiz each other about it. Uh, we should also note that this segment is spoiler heavy. Uh, so if you don't want to be spoiled about any of the movies or shows or games that we talk about here, uh, best not to listen to the segment. And on that note, Justin, who's going first? Is it me? Do I get to go first? I can't remember. I think it's me. Yeah. I want to talk about the breed. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, there is another bad movie titled The Breed uh, that stars Michelle wait, Rodriguez. Wait, another, are you another saying that this one's bad? There's another bad movie titled <laughs> The Breed that stars Michelle Rodriguez and Taron Manning. That's also a horror, but this that one involves rab, uh, rabid dogs, apparently. So um maybe i watched the good breed maybe i didn't kind of like you know how towns have a good denny's and a bad denny's i don't know which one i got yet so we'll see uh so i watched the breed which came out in 2001 uh it's directed by michael oblowitz and it stars bokeem woodbine as detective stephen grant who after his partner is strangely killed by a bald man in a trench coat and wide brim hat during some sort of murder investigation is told by his superiors that vampires exist. His partner was probably killed by one, but most of those vampires are pretty chill. And this chill guy over here with that Sharpie line that looks like a mustache and might oh, what have a- been the dude from Highlander is your new partner. So that's the movie, the end. Uh, that's all I got. I quit after that. Just kidding. Uh, so also, what's that? You should have quit after that. Oh, no, it's fantastic. There are, I've learned a few things. There are 4,000 vampires worldwide, apparently. But they have developed a synthetic blood, so most don't kill humans. 
and they don't have to face this sort of blood hunger thing, this rage. Like they get super, super hungry and they can't control themselves. Uh, there's also various political or ideological divisions within the vampires that are in existence because they revealed themselves to humans like a year ago. Um, some want to be friendly with humans and some are kind of hardliners who don't. Um, there's all sorts of Nazi overtones to this movie with flashbacks oh, to various yeah. Jewish and Polish ghettos during the Nazi era and so on, uh, especially through uh, Adrian Paul's character um, who whose family, I think as he was escaping, um, he's trying to escape the Nazis in Poland, was killed along the way. And that's when he got turned. Um, now, interestingly, the movie is set in, quote, in the near future, but they drive cars from the 50s. So make, you know, make that up. You know, make with that what you will. I don't really know. Um, and also they wear these really crappy trench coats and hats also from the 50s, except for Bai Ling's character, uh, whose makeup job is so bad sometimes that, <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't. There were a couple scenes where I'm just like, what just happened? Like, it's like if you had like a Halloween mat, like if like you did a bunch of Halloween makeup, right? And then you got really sweaty and then it rained and all of it started to run a bit. <laughs> That's what it looked like sometimes. Like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to criticize like whoever the makeup artist was. But I got to tell you, I mean, maybe it's not your fault. Maybe that's what you were told to do, but I just think it looked horrible. I really do. I'm sorry. I got to be honest. Uh, whatever. Anyway, getting back to the movie itself. Turns out the dude who killed Grant's partner is a vampire looking to probably sow discontent between vampires and humans. And he's like preying on college girls and such. Um, so Grant, who is, uh, again, Bokeem Woodbine, uh, Grant and Adrian Paul's Aaron Gray, again, a vampire who was apparently turned immediately after accidentally drawing a line above his lip with a Sharpie and is now forced to live with it for eternity. <laughs> Their names are Grant and Gray, which is just amazing naming convention. Grant and Gray. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's Grant and Gray, attorneys at law. It's so, so terrible. Anyway, they start to team up buddy cops, right? So they think it's a few different people, but it ends up being the only other bald old vampire who wears a black trench coat in the movie. Who would have thought? Go figure. Like the one dude who actually fits the physical description of the murder is the murderer. And we this, see him all the time. That was fantastic. Uh, it was. It was great. Um, so anyway, at various parts, they go to a nightclub that's supposed to be this kind of recreation of a glam goth trance dancing stuff. But the extras are absolutely terrible at dancing. I think some of them don't know how to move their arms. Uh, and it all just looks really sad. Uh, then they think it's this blonde guy that looks like a poor man's, a poor man's Albert Wesker from, uh, from Resident Evil. Uh, you know that movie franchise? Uh, yeah. But it's not him either. Who'd have thought? Then... This little kind of like, oh, my God, the drama. It looks like it's Bai Ling's character, whose name is uh, Lucy Westenra, who is like this 600-year-old vampire or something like that from Shanghai, um, who totally rocks the cradle by banging the 30-something-year-old Grant, who's a human. So not only is she like rocking the cradle, but now it's like cross-species mating. It's, it's nuts. But anyway, it's not her either. So she's just trying to smuggle a bunch of vampire refugees out of the country because everyone's getting really nervous about the humans and stuff. And because humans are working on this airborne virus, it's going to kill all these vampires, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it ends up basically being Adrian Paul's boss because he, again, is the only bald dude that fits the physical description of the murderer. And he's been lying the whole time and he's pretending to be this pro-human dude, but he's really not a pro-human dude. Um, Adrian Paul ends up putting a grenade in his, oh no, not Adrian Paul, uh, Grant, the other guy. Uh, puts a grenade in the guy the guy's belly and then the old man dies um see what else periodically in the movie adrian paul jumps to the side shooting two guns at once kind of like something at a hot fuzz 
but whoever was doing the editing often cut too late. So we always saw him start to fall down to the ground instead of actually fly horizontally the way they wanted. Uh, it was really, <laughs> really sad. Uh, there's this weird Cold War era vibe uh, going on because there's like the NSA, but it, I'm not even sure if it's the same like uh, same acronym. Um, and that's who Grant works for. It's almost goofy funny. Like it's it's almost satirically goofy funny because there's people like like there's old ladies in like, like these uh, these suits that are doing these stamps and they're doing it in like in a synchronized motion. It's like something out of a Family Guy episode. It's really crazy and it and it seems tonally. It does not seem totally consistent with the rest of the movie, which tries so hard at times to underscore this like thematic connection between like the vampire human thing and like the Jewish Nazi issues from the, you know, the, the early parts of the 20th century. So um, anyway, it's a bad movie. And I choose to remember Adrian Paul as everyone should, uh, which is as Duncan McLeod of the clan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a good movie, dude. Like, I wanted to like it. I really did. It might be um, one of the worst produced movies I've ever seen. I 100% agree with that because was there ever anyone on the road like at any point in time? Like there are some scenes. I'm like, is there a population? Do they exist? Like, this is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Like, this, is there anyone here? Does no one go outside? Is it just is it just like an acid rain thing? If you go outside, you're going to burn to death or something. It's just so crazy. And then like there were some scenes where shots were spliced together. Like there's a scene at the docks where they're trying to get the refugees out. And then like the NSA shows up and like it gets really bloody. And I think like they had to reshoot some shots, but they reshot them at the wrong time of day. So at one point it's like, hey, it's like maybe, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. And then suddenly like the sun's going down and then suddenly it's three o'clock in the afternoon again. It's just like, oh, that's that's wonderful. And like vampires are supposed to have these amazing like new senses and strength and stuff like that. And Grant, it's just like walking behind one like two feet away a couple times i'm like yep that that would totally happen sure Mm -hmm. yep okay yeah it's it's not good it's not a good movie it's 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 a real bad one uh my my favorite scene was the uh neo-esque fight i think it was on the docks Mm -hmm. where he's flying in the air he's flying horizontally (laughs) in the air (laughs) and just kind of spinning like he wasn't like flying he was just he was in position turning while shooting two guns at once and then at the same and then like when he would land he takes his guns unloads them and he just so happens to have two perfect magazines sticking straight up out of his hips to put the magazines back into his hips yeah it was like a mixture between equilibrium uh the matrix and blade but if they all were real drunk and had a baby do you remember when we we watch ice pirates yeah. And we said it's the greatest love scene of all time in any yeah. movie ever. This movie probably has the worst love scene of all time. <laughs> it, oh my god! Oh, and like it, I don't know. Really I, have a, I have a I have a I have a pretty good contender with what you gave me. So are you kidding? Hardware is such a good movie. Anyway, uh, so Bai Ling's character has a as a panther. But it's a fat panther. Oh, it's a fat panther. <laughs> it's, so fat. it's an it's out of so shape fat. panther. I, I wanted to put that as a, as a it's question. Belly like, is like dragging across the ground. It's like, it's, how it's, intimidating is this? Is this post pregnancy panther? It's so funny. At one point, she says to him, "She's like, see if you can get pie the panther." And I want to think like. He could just like walk around it. There's no it way just, that cat is catching up with him. Oh my god! The fattest panther the I've ever seen. Fattest panther I've ever seen in my life. Not that I've seen many panthers, but for the few that I've seen, I've never seen any with a freaking beer belly. Oh my god! <laughs> the stomach was dragon. <laughs> it was so bad. 
Oh my god. But uh yeah, that was not a good movie um ever. Like right. I can't I cannot recommend it. Uh <laughs> At all? At all. all right. <laughs> I just can't. It's not. Plus, uh, uh, his accent the whole movie was just ridiculous. Yeah. He's like Dracula, but not. All right. So here's your If you want to watch a, an Adrian Paul production, just go watch Highlander. Like, yeah. what's the point? All right. So you already answered the first question. I know you're going to get this, but how many vampires what's are the first there? Question? What's that? There's 4,000. 4,000. Yeah. 4, yeah, that was a that was a very easy Justin question there. I had a feeling you're probably gonna catch that one. Um, next question: How long the, how long does it take someone to turn into a vampire? Oh gosh, yeah, I remember they said that. Um, is it like three days or something? You are correct, sir. Oh my god, I got that right. I was it was yeah. sort of an educated guess. I I think that's what I heard, but I was so busy wondering where my brain cells went that I I thought I could be wrong. Curious as to why it takes so long. Like why does it take three whole days? It's the least effective virus I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. Um, yep, I agree. Uh, next question. What was a better vampire outfit? Okay, was a biling in her like neck like head suit thing like with the biggest like the one yeah. with the the collar like yes the, the crazy like i have a fern growing out of my neck yes. collar yeah no, no no not that one there's that was the okay. first one i'm All talking right. about the one where they go to like the the club and she's got like a oh, yeah. scuba suit on her head kind of it's like she just she it's like she got in it had a head injury or a neck injury in football yes. and they had to immobilize her neck yes that one okay. that one or uh that guy West and his assless chaps. So what was better? Because West okay. had assless chaps with fishnets on. So okay, what so was the I mean, honestly, the okay. So there's a variety of reasons why the assless chaps win. Because first of all, when there's ever a, que a question of assless chaps, you always go with assless chaps. But second of all, <laughs> the, like there was a point when she was in the club where like she looked back like with that outfit on. And I was generally terrified of like what happened to her face. Like she was just the lighting and the makeup in that scene and like what she's wearing. It was just, I don't know what you're trying to pull off. Like that was insane. So I'm going to go with assless chaps just because you know. you're correct. Cause 2000 by Ling, I don't know what we were thinking in 2000. She was really popular for some weird reason. So yeah. So that yeah. one last question. Okay. Great special effects or greatest special effects. Well, let's see. I'm trying because when of... he got blown up with that grenade, that I'm was pretty sure, pretty, pretty sure that was made from an N64 when that happened. Um, there were moments when they were like flying around that I honestly thought that they were really a flying. Hum a human so flight. I'm gonna say greatest special effects. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's go to the judges. Judges, are right, there? I with think you, you got it right. They agree. They agree. Nice. So greatest. That's your four before the sucker. You got it. I four before this. That's a perfect score. Look at that. Ah. Very proud. Very proud. Nice. Um, nice. This movie okay. was a, was a dumpster fire. So yeah, it was really. I bad. saw it. I saw it on Amazon. <laughs> it I was, was like, really it's got Adrian Paul in it. It's got to be gold. So I kind of was like, like it was like almost okay for a little bit, and I was like, okay, oh maybe, okay, nope, never mind, I'm out. Like it's just <laughs> it all just the unnecessary voiceover work too made no sense. So yeah, yeah. All right. 
So that okay. was uh, Breed. Why don't you tell us about what you had to do for this week? So my challenge for this week was the 1990 classic Hardware starring Dylan McDermott mm-hmm. uh, as Moses Hard Mo Baxter. Stacy Travis as Jill, John Lynch as Shades, uh, and Iggy Pop as Angry Bob. That was in the, yeah, opening, boy. the opening credit. <laughs> so um, basically, this movie takes place in the 21st century. And basically, uh, this scavenger, it's like a post-apocalyptic world. The scavenger's traversing the desert and finds this exoskeleton of some type of robot outfit brings it to a scrapyard and dylan mcdermott's character buys it for his girlfriend for christmas because christmas has something to do with this for some reason uh and so he buys it for because she likes putting stuff together and making art out of it and stuff like that so he brings it back to her place um when they do that he, he presents it to her she's so very happy uh that she decides to have probably one of the most softcore porn sex scenes i've ever seen in a normal movie like it was so he's in the shower and he's got this uh robot hand right and the robot hand's clearly just a glove um and hey hey you're probably right but go on so and she comes up behind him he's got the face like oh like like it's straight up softcore porn and then there's they they start having sex and so someone had hacked into the head of the machine so he could see what was going on in the room. And he's basically, no, he didn't hack into the machine. It was just, no, he was in the, he was in a different, it was across the hall or across the street. And he's looking through like a high powered camera and taking pictures of Jill. He's just like this stalker that's been watching her for a long time. And so he starts taking pictures of her and also uh, it seems pleasuring himself and the way he was talking was so uh, uncomfortable. It was very, very hardcore for a uh, movie. Um, and then I decided to do a little research on this uh, movie. This was originally rated X, like porn. It wasn't until they did a few cuts. That way they could get out of the X and be turned to R. Because there's a lot of... It was rated X, not for its sex. It was rated X for its gore, by the way, just so you know. Sure, gore and the the softcore porn aspects of it. So, according to the Los Angeles Times, uh, an article by Greg Braxton on August 3rd, 1990, it was uh, because of the gore. Uh, uh, Okay, so... uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So anyways, the beginning of this movie takes forever to get started. Um... But, like, essentially, this robot is self-aware and self-repairing. It's called, like, the Mark 13. It's a experimental military uh, robot that can kind of adapt and react and, and exterminate whatever is living around it. It has, like, cyanide that it can, like, cyanide can inject into people to kill them and does a whole bunch of stuff to try. It has, like, a, uh, 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 what is it? red ultraviolet light it can go, see through like uh like the like the predator basically it's a mixture between the predator and the terminator and it's it's just like it's not very good so uh basically this robot becomes sentient 
attacks Jill. And in the process, they had to try and save her. Dylan McDermott first tries to call her, can't call her because the robot destroys the phone. Then he calls his friend Shades, who took ecstasy or something, and is freaking out and tries to help out, but he can't because he's super high. Then they get all their friends, they show up, and they try and stop it, and Dylan McDermott dies in a weird way, and then uh, all the friends that came to help her die horribly. Um, Shades and her are the only two that survive because there's like a break in the cooling system and the insulation, so when they just cover it in water, it dies. It's it's just... um. It's just a gore fest of stupidness, and it was dumb. You're took, a gore fest of stupidness. It it took forever to get started, and then it took forever to end because the thing died, I think, seven times, and it's just like, mm-hmm. oh no, it's not dead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it was, a, it was a machine, so I mean, you know. it's real bad. Um, I will say the gore effects were good, um, like the special effects of like the blood and stuff was pretty good um for like you know 90s gore and all that stuff um there's a penis drill on this machine um yeah i mean it's if you think about it you know it makes perfect sense uh yeah it's very clearly a penis drill there's a moment where it's like trying to get on top of her and use the penis drill um it's real it's rough um the monster looks pretty neat like from the head I like the like the skull look with the needles coming out of its mouth. I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, it just took forever to get going and uh, it died so many times. I think like six times it had like, oh my God, it's over. It's over. One of those moments. It was ridiculous. Like, just kill it. Please just kill it. Because the first time it happens, I'm like, there's 30 minutes left in this movie. Yeah. There's no way this thing's dead. But then it has like three more of those moments where it's like, oh, we're safe. We're safe. So I wasn't a huge fan um there's three uh rock references isn't it there's iggy pop and he has all of his music on the radio lemmy drives the taxi that they're in and it has ace of spades playing he goes you should listen to this music and she's just lemmy talking about his own music and stuff like that and then there's guar on the tv like a guar music video that she's watching and stuff like that so like there's a lot of like heavy metal references and stuff like that to go along with this movie but like it just wasn't my cup of tea because it was like semi softcore porn mixed with. Oh my hard, god, you're hardcore, overstating that so hard, man. Hardcore, like you're gore. And it's just like. It was gory, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of like. It just took so long to get started. That's. that's if they would have gotten, um, was it repetitive at all? Did it did it like repeat the same thing over and over again? If it didn't take, if it didn't, if it didn't take so long to get there, like if I would have seen some murder happen earlier, probably have been more into it. But like I said for the fifth time now, uh, <laughs> it took so long to get there. I just found myself really bored. Like the first death was like forty minutes into the movie, or fifty minutes into the movie. It, it just took forever for the action to kick up. So. Uh-huh. Anyways, all right, you ready? Enough. I think you you're ready. Good. You ready? Yeah. Okay, you didn't get any of the questions, so we're gonna have to. You're gonna ask me about all right, like Justin or something? No, 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 no. It's too easy. It's too easy. This isn't a Justin quiz. This is this is a Jeff quiz. Okay. Justin, one of the taglines for this movie is "Welcome to the 21st century." Uh, being a person living in the 20th century, 21st century, excuse me. How accurate would you say the movie is describing the technological innovations of this century? Um. Well. The one thing I wish we had more of 
was more analog uh video phones um that looked like they were made from a nintendo six a nintendo like a regular nintendo so um i think it's pretty accurate because there's video phones and there's uh surveillance and stuff like that so i think it's pretty close but i i really like the old uh, mm. 80s look to the technology i wish we had more of that um like that's not even remotely close to being correct i mean like we're using discord and i'm like what are you talking about like well, that's the well, dumbest well, answer like well, i can't i don't even want to do the rest of the quiz now i just no that is the correct answer I tried you. that is 100 the correct answer absolutely uh all right question number two who doesn't understand sacrifice who doesn't understand answer who um doesn't understand sacrifice jesus <laughs> What? I think it had something to do with lambs. Uh, lambs? I don't know because I think it had something to do with. I thought maybe it had something to do with the creep guy that came over her house and he was talking about her boyfriend and his name was Moses and I don't know. I uh, no, the uh, correct answer is machines and morons. Machines and morons. I don't even remember that. Yeah, well, I paid more attention. Okay, uh, uh, all right. <laughs> what you already mentioned, Angry Bob. But you didn't mention what kind of dick he has. So, what kind of dick does? Oh no! I remembered this, and I thought about. How do you not realize that's going to be a question I'm going to ask? I knew it was going to be, and I listened to him. Like that's pretty good. He's probably going to ask that. Mm. Oh no! It was like the first thing he was doing in his little his little the song. I know. No, I can't remember what was it. An industrial one. Oh my god! I remember that. All right, I, was, I remember him saying like Jeff's gonna ask this because Iggy Pop is gonna answer. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Question number four. Oh my god. One of the other taglines to this movie is "You can't stop progress." So Justin, can you stop progress? Um, our current administration's doing a pretty good job at it. You know what I mean? Uh, this ain't a political podcast. Can you stop progress? Apparently you can't. Um, unless you have a a lukewarm shower to put over its head. So as yeah. the incorrect answer. The correct answer is yes, and it's called the breed. Uh oh, okay. it, it ruined <laughs> filmmaking as far as I'm concerned. Okay, okay, right. okay. Question number five, final question. When Shades and Jill are fighting the robot in the shower towards the end, Shade puts the gun to the machine's head. Jill demands that he shoots it, and after some delay, he does pull the trigger. The problem, though, is he didn't have some kind of catchy phrase like, it's been revoked, or I'll have what she's having, or consider that a divorce, or you know how I said I'll I'll kill you last? I lied. So could you please provide an edit to the movie and create a thematically appropriate one-liner for Shades to say as he pulls the trigger and the shower pours down on the machine? All right, okay, okay. So she goes, do it, Kim! And he'll say, time for some heavy metal. I'll accept it. It All wasn't right. amazing. I'll accept that's okay. it. No, that's it's a, better than not nothing. Great. No, it's not. not better than stick around from Predator, but you know. Yeah, it's, okay. it's okay. So let's see. You, you, uh, you got one and two. You got two out of five. That's pretty good for you, buddy. That's Look more than you. normal. That's pretty that's good. Way more than number. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Pretty nice. All right, new quizzes. You ready? 
I'm ready. All right, what do you got for me? Um, so I was looking on Netflix, and I think this is like brand new, um, but it looks somewhat interesting, or it could also be horrible. So I'm not sure. Um, it's called Eramentari, and it's on Netflix. It's about it's it's called Eramentari, the blacksmith and the demon, something like that. And it has something. I, to I do love with that you put so much effort into choosing challenges for me. That's just like, yeah, this just popped up on Netflix. I don't know anything about it, but no, here I you saw, go. I saw it. I'm like, this mm. is we. It, it could be real bad, or it could be good, because I can't tell when I was looking at the preview. All so. right, Aramintar. Right. Okay, so continuing my march forward in horror movies that you have neither seen nor probably ever actually heard of, I would like you to watch the hidden gem from 2003 dead end dead end okay mm-hmm. um and you can find it on shutter which you can get a seven day free trial for via via amazon so um i think that's the only legal way to to to, to, to you know to watch it so dead end from 2003 it's about a family during christmas that takes a shortcut okay that's, all right that's the all, right. all right okay all right okay so it's time for us to close this sucker down. Uh, if you would be so kind, if you're enjoying what you're hearing on the Lollygaggers podcast, maybe hop over onto iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you get this podcast and maybe drop us a little review, a little rating, a little, little note. Uh, if you have some ideas, perhaps, for what I can challenge Justin with or Justin can challenge me with, consider uh, contacting us via our website, lollygaggerco.com, uh, or just hit me up on Twitter, at uh, lollygaggerco. Uh, Justin also does some Twitch streaming, so you might be able to catch him, say hello in the in the comments uh, or in the chat room. Excuse me, uh, Justin. What is your channel again? Hey, it's Twitch.tv slash Jehufa, J E H O O F A H. Hit me up anytime. Football is almost over, so it's about to be a little bit more busy. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, finally, you want to do some thank yous? You know it. All right, let's get it done. I want to thank the 22 students, and I say this earnestly, who braved the rain in Arizona today, who are willing to get up early on a Saturday morning, that's what today is, and come to our genre writing workshop that we were holding. Uh, It's the best turnout we've had at one of these Saturday morning workshops for quite a while. Uh, So I was really happy to see that. So thank you earnestly to the 22 students, all of whom I'm sure are listening to this podcast. I want to thank my three hour nap I took today. Um, It's been a long week of work. And then I knew I had to be up late tonight to uh, do this beautiful podcast with my bestest buddy. So uh, thank you, 3 Nap, for making me stay awake. Thank you. I want to thank people who ring my doorbell. And by thank, I mean I want to kill people who ring my doorbell, uh, especially people who are delivering something and not even staying there to ask me something. You're just dropping there. Stop ringing my fucking doorbell. You're going to you're gonna have to edit that up. <laughs> Finally. I want to thank everybody who gave me these birthday wishes from last week. I had my birthday was on Monday and had a bunch of people say happy birthday, all my kids and stuff. We're singing it all day long. So thank you all so much for the well wishes. I know I only got about four days left or four, not four days, four years left of my life. So uh, <laughs> oh my I appreciate it. Wait, are we not going to record next week? What's going on? Oh, crap. Gabe, I need a new podcast partner. <laughs>